Nope, that isn't a mosquito. Nope, it ain't a dentist drill either. That is a drone, otherwise known as a UAV, an unmanned aerial vehicle, a flying computer, a sensor, a robot, and it can even be a weapon. Over the past few years, drones have gone from billion dollar machines to toys for governments and big business. Now you can find them on the shelves of Kmart. They've evolved from being a war machine to the world's number one Christmas present. The cost has plummeted and the technology has skyrocketed. And the potential of these flying robots is massive. This episode, we talk to Phil Lyons, CEO of Falcon UAV, who is making Australian farms the centre for a new innovation boom. Where I see us very much at the bottom of the curve, the, the older blokes do tend to say, you know, look, I've, I've done it this way for the last 40 years. I'm not sure I should change now. And the younger guys are saying, oh, yes, I can see the massive benefits here. So I'm going to adopt this new equipment straight away. And Glenn Fowler from Cavort tells us how we have the ability to shoot film like we've never seen before and the delicate operation required to send a camera into the sky. I think um, the time we smuggled a drone into Cuba um, on a boat to get, to get some shots uh, for Mission Impossible um, was probably, probably one, of the, um, one of the trickier times. The next guest is our first world champ on the show, the one and only Chad Nowak, the Greg Norman of drone racing. I basically fly toy drones um, and do tricks with them and race them and it's getting more and more popular and I'm trying to make a future out of it. My name is Tommy McCubbin and this is Future Sandwich, Episode 8, Drones Away, the podcast that has a sandwich with people making the future happen today. We're thinking of them now as sensors in the sky, somewhere below satellites and above street view. If you architect your system correctly, the drone is just an extension of the internet. You'll basically see supercomputer performance in toys, just as we're already seeing with smartphones. Here is a quote from Chris Anderson, CEO of 3D Robotics and formerly the editor-in-chief of Wired magazine. He says, Right now, drones are either manually piloted or GPS piloted. But as we integrate them into our urban fabric, they'll need true autonomy. Drones will need to have eyes, sensors like radar and sonar that they'll need to use to avoid obstacles and fly. Eventually, the data from autonomous drones will convince the regulators that they're safer than having a pilot. As far as industries, no other is being affected more than agriculture and farming. My name is Phil Lyons, and I'm the CEO of Falcon UAV. We're an aerial imaging uh, organization, been going for about four years. One of the first who really focused on the agricultural sector using uh, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones. Yep, the, the older blokes do tend to say, you know, look, I've, I've done it this way for the last 40 years. I'm not sure I should change now. And the younger guys are saying, oh, yes, I can see the massive benefits here. So I'm going to adopt this new equipment straight away. There's a, a wheat farmer in a um, town called Lockhart. It's about an hour's drive north of Albury. And I went up there and scanned, did imaging over one of his paddocks. The paddock was about a little over 100 hectares, sort of 250 plus acres. And the wheat was fairly early in the season, so it was only about... 20 centimeters high, sticking up. And I handed him the, he, he said to me, look, 
went, I've been through the paddock this morning and I'm very happy with it. I think I have a little problem in the western end, but the rest of it looks good. And I said, yes, it looks good to your eyes. Now we'll see what the rail near infrared image shows. Two hours later, I gave him a map that showed a huge chunk of the eastern end of the paddock was really under stress. Very next morning, he got his agronomist in and said, here is this map, go into these areas and tell me why are these plants very stressed. The agronomist came back and said, look, you're way down in your ear. You've got to fertilize that paddock. The farmer rang me back about three days later and he said, mate, your one picture, I charged him $880 for it. He said that one image saved him three and a half thousand dollars in saved fertilizer costs. Because now he only fertilized the bit that needed it. And he didn't spend any money and lay down chemicals where it wasn't needed. Perfect example of it. Yeah, that's a brilliant example. So it, it really has a very broad application to any person that grows something for a living, plant for a living. Then, of course, you can take drones even further and use them to monitor and take images of um, fences and water holes and troughs. You can extend that to insurance assessment for crop damage. Because, of course, an insurance assessor is using his own eyesight to determine the areas that have been damaged, whereas a drone will do it in a tenth the time, cover much quicker area, and be far more accurate. So there, um, it is very broad-based in its uh, benefits and applications. The benefits of drones and their applications are spanning into TV and film production. A drone comes standard on every TV set these days, and we caught up with one of the world's best film producers. My name's Glenn Fowler. I'm um, one of the lead uh, aerial pilots and filmmakers at Cavort. Uh, Previously, you'd need to hire a chopper to shoot from above. Now you have a smorgasbord of remote-controlled drones that can get into any nook and cranny, illegal or not. Every year, every 12 months, there's, there's some, some significant... Uh, leap and bound in the technology. It's only four years ago that, that we were sort of, we were sitting at home soldering components into the drone to enhance the functionality of it and radio transceivers or for video transmissions to see what we're shooting. Um, now all that stuff's just, just built into it with an array of sensors that basically make it crash-proof and impossible to lose. Um, you know, multiple GPS sensors, multiple gyroscopic sensors that, you know, if one fails, there's a, there's a backup one. So the, the technology is, is really, really just amplified every 12 months significantly. Glenn has shot everything from Mission Impossible to stuff that could be regarded as very illegal. I think um, the time we smuggled, smuggled a drone into Cuba um, on a boat to get get some shots uh, for Mission Impossible um, was probably probably one of the um, one of the trickier times. We we had a had a had a yacht that we uh, were able to get our hands on and enter enter Cuba via one of the ports. At the moment, you I, I 
they just confiscate any drones at the at, at the airport. So um, we we're pretty lucky to get it in there and met up with some Cuban locals and scaled a few of the few of the buildings in downtown Havana and, and got some fantastic aerial shots of, of Havana, Cuba. And as far as I know, I think they're still the only only aerial shots that that exist um, in recent time in Havana still. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was that was that was a that was a good one. Um, I just recently got back from from Rio before the Olympics and shot a shot a nice piece down there um, for a few clients that um, uh, associated with the Olympics and uh, needed some some footage of uh, of Rio, the city, you know. So again, you know, we just kind of roll in and um, link up with some local people down there and. You know, they, they take us to some super interesting places in the favelas, meet the local people. They're all all very excited and interested in in the drone and the camera. They've got some incredible, incredible shots revealing some some amazing aspects of life in the favelas. That was pretty cool. Uh, you know, in the past we have had, we lost lost one drone uh, off a cliff edge in, in um, off the Great Ocean Road. You know, just because the the batteries, the one of the batteries failed, and and it just it, it couldn't couldn't handle it. But a lot of that technology has really changed. Um, you know, the the batteries are really the only only concern. Now the stakes are high when you're flying a drone over the Twelve Apostles, but the stakes get no higher than the Drone World Prix, an annual event held in Dubai where the best drone racers from around the world meet to compete for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar prize. My name is Chad Nowak, also known online as Final Glide or Final Glide Oz, uh, and it's my online presence that's known the most, and I basically fly toy drones um, and do tricks with them and race them, and it's getting more and more popular, and I'm trying to make a future out of it. In the middle of total mayhem here, I'm over in uh, an air show called Flight Fest over here in the US, and it's kind of craziness, like 3,000 pilots all rolled into one. So, so right now we've got something like, I don't know, I'd have to, if I had to guess, 150 remote control planes flying all at once, doing remote control combat and, and FPV racing and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm just walking over to our RV that we're staying in for a little bit of peace and quiet, so that way I can talk. So Chad is the world champion FPV drone pilot. FPV standing for first-person view. His kit contains an aircraft which is most likely a quadcopter. They are about the size of a dinner plate. It has a small camera on it that broadcasts directly to goggles you wear, so you literally see exactly what the drone sees. You use your remote control to race it around parks, warehouses, and even places like Chernobyl. I'm working with a group of guys for, on a YouTube channel currently called Rotor Riot. That's my main focus, where we're, but we're basically just trying to advertise how wonderful this uh this hobby is and trying to basically help the community out and entertain people we consider ourselves sort of like the the top gear of multi-roaders just having fun and uh in enjoying uh what we're passionate about but of course uh, there's also been various things like the uh uh the drone world pre over in dubai and um and uh we've got the drone nationals coming up in um in in one in a couple of weeks I'm about to head over to Ukraine for a week of all places. We're going to visit Chernobyl, 
and fly around there and, and sort of document that area. We've got the Drone Worlds coming up later on in the year as well in September. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of just crazy. And uh, right now I'm sleeping in an RV in the middle of a paddock in uh, next to a private airfield in Ohio. So every every place is a new location and something different. And are you sporting the title of world champ? Are you wearing the belt, so to speak, right now? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, define world champion. The problem with that is that there are quite a large number of different organizations around the world which are cla- which are classing themselves as the world uh, racing body, but there is not one accepted body. So it depends on which one you class. So, I mean, uh, this year there is, well, as far as I know, there's two world championships this year. It's not an official belt or an official title that I hold. And as far as I'm concerned, it's just a, a race that I won that I happened to do well in. And what, what about the events? Like, how the, how's the sport broken down? I know there's, like, freestyle and things like that. Yeah. Um, so there's... Uh, the, the main two types are racing and freestyle and racing is probably the more well known and that's basically just a track think of a, a car track uh we do the same sort of thing that we race around and you all start together and whoever goes over the line first wins and of course you have heats and then semi-finals and finals break everyone down because we're limited to how many uh how many uh, uh drones can fly at the same time um but of course the type of tracks can vary so you can have the same old track that's just kind of fairly low and flat but because these things are flying now you can put gates in the air and you can have add the vertical element to it as well so it's much more of a 3d track and of course then there's variances on the track just like with cars you can have sprint races which are quite short you can have endurance races which were more like what was over in dubai where you have to land and pit and change your battery and uh, and and fly a longer distance. So the the design of the quad differs between those aspects there, and uh, and then on the other side you have freestyle. And freestyle is very much like the skateboarding thing with the X Games, where it's you're not racing or anything like that. What you're basically doing is you're expressing yourself through tricks and maneuvers and the way that you fly uh, in front of judges, and they score you just like they would a, a skateboard rider in the X Games. And uh, both racing and freestyle is very, very young, and we're basically working out rules and regulations and the best way to do it to uh, to make everyone happy. It feels like it's kind of skateboarding in the eighties, where yes, a very similar kind of. You started out as very street. You guys are figuring out the rules as you go. Um, yeah, is that a, a, a sort of a comparison that you you, you how yeah you guys we look we. At it? There's a lot of guys here who used to to ride skateboards, and and they and it's it's very very similar. So uh, uh, when we go and fly, it's the similar sort of uh, we get the similar sort of feeling where it, the skateboard riders all want to skate through the 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 center part of town, and they can't because they're kicked out because they're they're thought of as a nuisance. And and we're the same. We go to a park, and people don't want us to fly there because we're a nuisance. And you know, we're not actually hurting anyone. We're not doing anything dangerous or or illegal and you, you just you're not accepted uh in mainstream society because they don't understand what's going on and the same sort of thing with the skateboarders where they just sort of get kicked out everywhere so even to this day we still feel like kind of like the rebels and the uh and and that kind of thing uh when we go flying just in in uh, regular locations and who are your biggest rivals 
Who are my biggest rivals? Are you building a bit of a, have you got a, uh, a nemesis? We can't go past people like Schizo, Jonathan Davis, who is a, uh, he just, he doesn't do much technical stuff, but he has an amazing flow and amazing different look and feel to his flying. And that's what I like about the freestyle because um, it's not necessarily how fancy your tricks are. It's how your, your style uh, equates in real life through the goggles. It's, it's an art form, not just a look at this fancy trick. I'm better than you. And you mentioned that there are some fans around. Tell me about the interaction you have with fans. That's actually a really freaky thing. I don't. I, I have trouble dealing with it personally because, um, like, I've been there. I've idolised people in the past, but I just consider myself a guy who just found something cool on the internet and started flying and making videos and and trying to show the rest of the world what I thought they were missing out on. And now I go to these things and I get anywhere from eight-year-old kids to 40, 50-year-old guys and and women wants to stuff and come over and they ask you to sign sign their shirt and 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 they tell you their story and they say that i've i've helped them to um um sort of to, to improve their flying and uh and they've really they, they really love watching me online and my progress and watching my videos and it's kind of strange because like i i don't see myself as anyone special i'm just someone uh, some an, another nerd having fun with a a geeky hobby and so it's kind of strange it's a good feeling but it's a very strange feeling to have people up and say such nice things about you so where is the sport heading will drone racing one day be an olympic sport um we're certainly not rivaling nascar or anything like that by a long shot or any kind of car racing why is it that you can get Hundreds of thousands of people watch a golf ball go down a driving fairway on TV when we all know that that is really, really, really boring. Why is it that they find that interesting? And it may, I, I realized something that is, the, uh, that is the same with anything that's popular. Why is car racing popular? Car racing is popular because people have an they can identify with it, they're familiar with it, and they have a connection with it. Reason being is that pretty much everyone drives a car or they're associated with a car. Why do people like golf? Because there's a lot of people that play golf. Why do people like basketball? Because they people like shooting hoops uh, in their backyard. Same thing with all of these mainstream sports, that there is a large proportion of people that are playing it. The one downside to racing drones is that when you look at the, the percentage of the people in the, in around the world or whatever country, of how many of those actually fly drones is actually still a very, very, very small percentage. So what I think will happen and need to happen to make this popular, and I think it's got all the hallmarks of being able to be, become a, a bigger sport, is not going to be one big event with, a, with money or something like that. It's going to be advertising to the world uh how fun these things are and i think in a couple of years time when most households have a drone or in their house that they use or they have some affiliation using a drone for whatever reason that's when the racing will become much more popular it's the, the problem right now is simply that drone racing is not is, is a very very um um uh, it's not a sport that people are familiar with. So they don't have a connection with it, so that they, they, they go, yeah, that's cool, but then they move on. So when people have a connection with it and they understand it some more, that's when I think it's going to, uh, the popularity is going to grow. Awesome, man. That is, uh, it's been an awesome interview. I can't wait to, um, 
get you on the show and um, introduce people to this world because it's just the more I read about it and see about it, it is really feels like in five years this is going to be everyone's going to know you, everyone's going to know about the sport. There's going to be yeah. people being able to buy kits just like they can go to Rebel and buy a football. Do you know? I think this yep. is a we're on yeah, the brink of something exactly. really big here. And um, and congratulations on you for sort of pioneering it and putting Australia on the map. My pleasure, my pleasure. As I always say, if you want to convince someone about how cool FPV is, all you got to do is strap a set of goggles on them. Because I've not had a single person that I've put a set of goggles on for the first time that has they haven't gone, wow, that's cool. So although drones are making an impact in many facets of life, they are only at the beginning of their curve. The days are far away where drones will be like bugs buzzing around at 400 feet. This has been Future Sandwich Episode 8, Drones Away. And many thanks to our three guests. Glenn from Convort is the guy if you ever need some beautiful film shot from above. Check out his YouTube channel and Instagram. Search for Cavort, C-A-V-O-R-T. Also, Phil from Falcon UAV. Be a smart farmer and get him down to send a falcon overhead. Check out his services at falconuav.com.au. And of course, Chad, or Final Glide Oz. Check out his and his crew's YouTube channel, Rotor Riot. All these links and more will be in the show notes at futuresandwich.com. And most importantly, Maddie Thompson for editing this like a boss. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to Future Sandwich on iTunes or follow on SoundCloud or get new episodes direct to your inbox by signing up at futuresandwich.com. Also, give me a shout on Twitter, at Team McCubbin. I'm always up for hearing what you think or any suggestions of people we should talk to, talking to people who are making the future happen today. I'm dedicating the last minute of every episode to the listeners because it makes it all worthwhile when I get notes from you guys. Big shout out to Phoebe Starr. She's an amazing musician and fan of Future Sandwich. Search for her music on YouTube at Phoebe Starr. P-H-E-B-E-S-T-A-R-R. Also, Adam Jeffrey from Mate Podcast. I recently interviewed on his show. Check him out. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.